Patriots Beat is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome back to the Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. I am Pat's Pulpit's Brian Hines, joined as always by Alex Barth from the 985thesportshub.com. And another off-season show here, but we have some some things to discuss. Uh, we're going to be talking running backs, maybe some free agents, and uh, then we'll kick it over to the to the chat for a Q&A, and then it looks like we'll end with maybe a Boston Sports Minute after a busy Bruins day. Yeah. But um, so we'll start with running backs because James White had some thoughts over on – he talked to Mike Reese from ESPN over on Sunday – is up on ESPN.com about the current Patriots running back room. And we can kind of break down what he said about each player, but big picture, I thought he kind of saw it the same way we've been talking about it. You have Ramondre, who's the lead dog, and they need to find him help after all the snaps he played last year. But then they have some intriguing sophomore backs and then a veteran in, in Ty Montgomery. And that's how he kind of viewed it. And I thought we were kind of on the, seeing it through the same lens as him. Yeah, the one interesting thing, though, that stood out about what he said, and I'm reading from Mike Reese here on ESPN.com. Uh, from So this is James White to Mike Reese. These are James White's yep. words. It's not so often a Patriots running back. It's not so often as a Patriots running back that you're out there that many snaps. Coach Bill Belichick loves that guy talking about Ramondre Stevenson, so he just has to capitalize on the opportunity. And then Reese adds, uh, Stevenson logged 66% playing time last season in total of 1,040 yards and five touchdowns on 210 carries. James White's right in that, you know, it's not that often Patriots running backs play that much. It was, I believe, the highest usage rate since Corey Dillon for a Patriots running back. I know definitely the highest in the last 11 years, which is as far back as the, the PFR data goes. I don't know that I love that. And, and James White kind of makes it sound like that it, Stevenson could be in, in store for that again. It's nothing against Ramondre. He's a great player, but man, he was so beat up by the end of the year. And he even admitted that that workload kind of took a toll on him late in the season. You can't have that. They need him late in the year for these big games. So I'd like to see earlier in the year, whether it is Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris, Ty Montgomery, if they're going to sign somebody. And I put a whole list of backs up on 98.5thesportsub.com this morning. I do think that they need to lessen his workload a little bit early in the season, but it sounds like, you know, we know Bill is very high on Ramondre Stevenson, and it sounds like he's going to use him as much as he possibly can, which in the modern NFL, it uh, doesn't always work. How many of these teams that are built around the running back, the Titans uh, with Derrick Henry, the Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott, the Vikings with Dalvin Cook, these backs just, you get to the end of the year and these teams fall off because the back is so beat up and then they really have no other go-to. And I'm not saying the Patriots don't definitely have another go-to, but they 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 need Stevenson to be healthy at the end of the year. He's one of their biggest playmakers, and even if Mac Jones is better and the passing game is better, a lot of this, I feel like, is still going to run through Ramondre Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And White did say, again, this is James White to Mike Reese over on ESPN. He said, with Bill O'Brien coming back, they – probably will get back to a, you know a sub back to lighten that load hopefully and he said ty montgomery is probably the the leading choice from white's opinion he named ty montgomery yeah so so that's definitely an interesting one as well i think we we've kind of felt that 
the one thing I wonder if they go back to last year, we saw it in the preseason and a little bit in week one, they kind of eschewed their early down back, third down back thing. And they did more of a series uh, by series. Right, This is going to be Ramondre Stevenson's drive. Then this is going to be Tom Montgomery's yep. drive. Then this right. And, and it's going to be Damian Harris's drive. I feel like they could go back to that. And I, and I honestly don't hate that approach because it, it it's tough to implement because you need the right kind of backs to implement it, right? You need guys that can are a threat to do pretty much everything. And you can't just exactly find those guys anywhere you want, but I do feel like they have some very versatile backs and Stevenson and Montgomery and, and even Pierre strong. So I feel it, 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 it makes them less predictable. They've been, you know, sometimes have been better than others. Do you remember that year when Ramondre Stevenson, uh, not Ramondre Stevenson, Sony Michelle, like at the end of the year, it was like an 80 20 split when he was in the game that he was getting the football or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you can't be that. And they haven't always been that bad, but they do sometimes get predictable based off the personnel at running back. If you go drive by drive, you know, and the upside is you might be more predictable, but you have guys who are better at what they're doing. So you can just execute at a higher level. But if you go drive by drive, you get rid of some of the predictability. So I wouldn't hate that. Mm -hmm. And then he did get into. Some of the sophomore backs, Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, uh, when talking about Strong, he said, you know, obviously he has the speed that we've all, that he showed in limited fashion last year. We all knew he had that coming from South Dakota State. That was kind of his calling card. But he said, it's just going to come down to the mental part. Like like James White had, he basically redshirted. I think it was, did he have like 17 touches and White had like 14 or it was something something similar with the amount of touches in their rookie year essentially a red shirt. And he just said, like, you're going to see a lot of Pierre Strong in tough situations in training camp in preseason games. You're going to, they're going to throw blitzes at him, run him between the tackles. Just let him do everything and, and see if he can kind of establish himself as maybe that spell back. Which I think is the right move because yeah. you want him to be that guy. And that's the only way you find out if he's that guy. So I do think he's a guy that they're going to put, a lot of attention on we do this with the Patriots all the time. We talk about how they write shirt guys. James White is a perfect example. 14 touches as a rookie, and they really got him going in year two. So, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. And then with Kevin Harris, he just said he's a physical runner, you know, gets downhill, powerful. And we saw that a good amount of times last year. He broke a lot of tackles, like that touchdown run against Arizona. He broke a few tackles. So kind of that Damian Harris mold. He did seem a little skinnier. He was a more involved in uh, the passing game and OTAs, but that's also very a pass-heavy session. So, but yeah, he could be more of that physical runner while Pierre Strong's the speed. But be interesting to see how that shakes out. And the one other thing that James White from James White that stood out to me is he talked about the franchise tag running backs and kind of the way the contracts are going at that position. It's and this can bring us into the next point here, Brian. Um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this Dalvin cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, right? These guys who are available is, is, is this the time to strike? Now, obviously we're still all waiting on Hopkins, but if his market comes in under what's expected and they still have some money to play with this, you know, you bring this into it. I know a lot of people want to see them sign Dalvin cook. If they're planning on running Ramondre a ton. So I don't know. I, I, I can see this both ways. It depends how you interpret it, right? If it, let, let's say hypothetically, they have the money to make it work with Dalvin cook Hopkins or no, let's just say that they can get him. I've kind of been out on cook because 
I think for the money, I, I, I think he's about the same player as Ramondre. Cook might be a little better, but it's close. How is he making your offense better? We're talking about a role that's 10 to 15 snaps a game probably for him. And I, for the money, I don't see how that's worth it. If he comes for no money, fine. But it's not like wide receiver where you're adding. You're not necessarily adding a running back. You're just giving yourself a better spell option for Ramondre Stevenson, which isn't nothing. But for 10 to 15 snaps a game, could that money be better spent elsewhere? Now, if, you know, with James White saying that Ramondre is going to get a ton of carries this year, that tells me one of two things when it comes down to Cook. Either one, Ramondre specifically is going to get a ton of carries. If that's the case, I don't see how Dalvin Cook comes here. He wants to reset his market and he doesn't want to be on the bench. At the same time, you could interpret that as the running game is still going to be a big part of what they do. The lead back is going to get a lot of carries. And if that's the case, maybe that does entice Dalvin Cook because maybe there's more snaps available or more carries available than we maybe believe because they're going to run the ball more. So again, that's open to interpretation, but it was interesting seeing that in the context of Dalvin Cook's free agency. If we want to talk about Dalvin Cook, he was pretty active on social media the last uh, yeah. few days in the liking tweets. He liking a lot of tweets about him potentially coming here. And, and to be fair, he was liking tweets going about the Dolphins and Jets, I believe too. But I mean, maybe there's, he seems open and interested in the idea of possibly coming here. So I think the important thing to remember with something like that, though, is it's very rare an NFL player or pro athlete, really, this exists across all sports. It's very rare that a pro athlete in general outright refuse a team. Like, no, I won't sign with that team, right? Yeah, I'm sure Dalvin Cook would love to play here if, or would be willing to come play here if the role is right and the money's right. Those are two. Completely different things. You know, wanting to play here and wanting to play here. He can like the tweets all they want. If the Patriots come to him and he says, no, that's not enough money and I'm not going to be on the field enough, well, then the, the Twitter likes me nothing. So I I always take that stuff with a grain of salt because yeah. interest can be such a wide range of things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like if it's if it's cheap, like I don't, I don't want to pay him the five, five plus. I'd rather, right? Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins should get that first. But if he's cheap, or if a guy like Zeke is cheap, I, I think it could be a, a worthy addition. So you don't have so much relying on Montgomery and the sophomore backs. Because I mean, I like their potential, but there's some some de- doubt and some question marks there. So if you could bring in a cheap, reliable veteran, I would do it. But it, it wouldn't be top of my list i'd still have hopkins and then maybe if you find a a tackle or or something there yeah yeah i'm with you on that now if it'll come for like two yeah i'm signed up but they they do have bigger needs they have to address before adding essentially a backup running back which is what this which is what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. Uh, i would like i do want to remind everybody that this show is brought to you by FanDuel. baseball season is in full swing and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, america's number one sports book Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com backslash Boston to join today. Baseball is a fun one to bet on because there's games every single day, right? You can kind of, you can really follow those trends. Not a lot of time for teams to eat up. It's not a lot of time for teams to cool down. 
Um, and you can really start to play not just the, the spread, but the odds on it. Uh, I, I think more so than any other sport, baseball's odds lend itself to, to having some fun there. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com backslash Boston to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission, 21 plus in present Massachusetts. First online real money wager only, $10 deposit required, refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at FanDuel.com backslash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, speaking of, you want to get into this Q&A? Yeah, let's do it. How worried should Patriots fans be about the tackle position? <laughs> Probably the biggest worry on the roster right now. Yeah, yeah. I've said this. If anything undoes this offense, it's not going to be the quarterback. It's not going to be the coach. It's not going to be the wide receivers. It's going to be the tackles. They have one guy in Trent Brown who's definitely an NFL caliber player but doesn't always stay healthy. And after him, you're really just rolling the dice. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm i more nervous about the tackle position than any other position on the roster. I, I think this is their their biggest question mark right now. And I, I don't think it's going to get fixed. I don't think it's going to fix going into the season. Somebody says this Taylor uh, Lewan still want to play. He's coming off a very significant knee injury, whether he wants to play yeah. or not. I don't know that he can. I, I don't know that signing a, what is he? 32, 33 year old guy mm-hmm. coming off a torn ACL is going to be the answer. And look, I'm not saying that it, they shouldn't do it because if you're going to throw things against the wall to see what sticks, throw as much as he can sign a guy like Taylor Lewan, sign a guy like DJ Fluker. But there's no answer out there. There's no quick fix. And I know some people say Jonah Williams. I really just don't believe the Bengals are trading Jonah Williams. It makes no sense for them to trade him for anything other than a, in an immediate impact player. And the Patriots don't have any immediate impact players they can afford to trade right now. So I just don't think the fix is there. Yeah. Like we talked about last show, like the, Tackle position is in the shortage, not the surplus. Yeah. So there's nothing they can really do at this point to really make an impact at that position. They're just going to have to hope they get a locked in Trent Brown and then they get one of these bodies they brought in to handle right tackle duties throughout the year. All right. So you guys can keep, uh, keep coming with the questions here. We'll get to as many of these as we can. I saw one earlier. Here we go. Is it a good idea, asking me specifically, but you can answer too, Brian. Is it a good idea to start Devontae, assuming he means Parker? Is it a good idea to start Parker as a backup in the slot to Juju to spell him because he's good after the catch in the Bill O'Brien offense? Parker's a true X and he's not going to be here. Uh, or no, this is I just assumed this is with Hopkins. Because um, most of the questions are, if Hopkins is <laughs> the question. No, your backup slot receiver is Kendrick Bourne. Uh, Parker's not that kind of after the catch receiver, and you don't have another X. Yeah, that's so. The, I I just I don't think I think this you're you're overcomplicating things here. Their depth behind him isn't very good at the X. Like Juju's played a little outside in Kansas City last year, but that's not. You know that would be like some certain situations that's not going to be a full-time thing so if, if parker's here he's going to be the x he's going to be on the boundary outside yeah i thought i so i originally read the question as like a way to keep parker with hopkins it's not gonna uh, yeah 
Parker's either the number one X or he's not here. It's that or that. All right. Do we think Billy O can scheme the offense in a way that can address or at least cover up the deficiencies at tackle? So when I said before, I don't think the quick fix is there for the Patriots to fix the tackle position. This is a question. The, the person asking the question, viewers on the exact right track. This is the closest they're going to get to a quick fix is a quick release offense. We used to talk about this all the time with Tom Brady being his own best pa uh, pass protector. It's going to be kind of the same thing when they, especially when they face some of these elite pass rushing teams, the Eagles in week one, for example, three-step drop, get on that back foot, quick passing concepts, get the ball out fast. The Patriots never did this last year when their offensive line was falling apart. It exacerbated a lot of the problems they were dealing with. They still kept trying to throw the ball deep for reasons I will never understand. But yeah, I, I, I think this is as close as you're going to get to managing the tackle position. He is a lot of quick catching concepts. And so this is where Juju and the Schuster being a good yard after catch guy. This is where a guy like Kendrick Bourne should be involved. Good yards after the catch, throwing the ball to the running backs. This is maybe the strongest argument for Dalvin cook is you're going to need to be heavy in the screen game. And that is, I think one thing definitively Dalvin cook does better than Ramondre Stevenson. So yeah, they, I, I think they can do it. Will they do it? We'll see. I think Bill O'Brien can scheme up around the tackles, and this uh, this is a conversation they're definitely having yeah. as they put this offense together. Seems like they're headed in that direction, and talk like Bill O'Brien, empty, find your mismatch, get the ball out quick. Probably going to be a lot of that if they have to work around those tackles. So, uh, let's go over to defense here. John Jackson asks, with Jack Jones likely being gone, how creative can the Patriots still be on defense? Also, what role will Marte Mapu likely play in our opinions this year? Can't the first part. They can still be pretty creative. It's not going to be quite the same thing, but they're going to be able to spin the dial. They'll be okay. It's more about, I think they can still be as creative as they would have been with Jack Jones. It's more about the depth. Once, yeah. you know, they could have lost a guy with Jack Jones and they were still in good shape. They The depth wasn't great before. Now they've pretty much gotten rid of their cushion and not gotten rid of, but if they lose Jack Jones, the cushion is gone entirely. So that, that I'll, I'll let you answer the first part and then we can get to the second. And you lose like a guy like Jalen Mills. If you were thinking of him as like a tweener, corner, right. safety, he's probably going to, or John Jones in that same, one of those guys is probably going to have to play only cornerback you, you lose that a little versatility there but I mean they still are, are talented back there they still have a ton of safeties so they can still do a lot it just they lose one layer there so and then what's oh Mapu second part of the question, how do we think Marte Mapu is going to be used I so I don't know if this is like about Jack Jones because that might change it a little bit I think he's mostly going to play middle linebacker I think he's mostly going to play middle linebacker and he's going to kind of be in that Fred Werner-ish looking role. I don't know if he's going to be as good as Fred Werner, but I think it's going to be that sort of strategy. It, it, you'll maybe see him at safety a little bit, but I, I think he's mainly going to be a linebacker. Yeah, he bounced back in OTAs and minicamp safety and linebacker, but that's that new era pl player they're looking for at the position that they haven't had. He can go sideline to sideline. He can play at all three levels pretty much. So that's probably where I would peg him at linebacker for now. Let's go to, is this a question? I think it was. I've been seeing a lot of people say that Hopkins isn't true X anymore and that he's really more of a Z at this point. If we sign him, I'd like to keep Parker. Thoughts? He's an X. <laughs> yeah, for them, he's an X. Like, if, if if they had a stronger option, 
I would say maybe you can consider it, but all, their best receivers right now, Juju Smith, or the majority of their best receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster um, is a slot, but he's also sort of a Z. Kendrick Bourne's a Z. Tyquan Thornton's a Z. You're burying the guys you probably need to play. Yeah, maybe he's not as good of an X as he once was, but he's still damn good if you put him out there. So I it, it's not to sound like Bill, no pun intended. It's in the best interest of the football team to play DeAndre Hopkins at X if you get him. Yep, I agree. Although could and I'll just sum it up here. Could Kasicki become the X? He's that big receiver. That's what Bill always calls him and. They're running a lot of that two tight ends with or whatever you want to call it with Gasicki and Hunter Henry. Right. So I think I think you're gonna see him at the X anyway at times this year. With you know, you can put him at the X and get Juju and Kendrick Bourne on the field at the same time or, or one of those combinations. So yeah, I think you'll you're gonna see him out there anyway at times. I think so a little bit, but he's I, I, he's more of a slot receiver when he's a receiver. I think they, they're calling him like a big slot receiver. Yeah. I'm not sure how much they, they want to do that. Um, Maybe in the red zone more, right? If you stick him Yeah, out. yeah. I just I, I don't think they're going to be able to keep all the wide receivers if they get Hopkins. I don't yeah. think they're going to be able to do it. It's no. not. I don't think Parker's going to want to be here. I think Parker's going to want to ask. He's in a Parker contract would ask Right, yeah. So He's going to want to play. It's and... not that simple. Uh, somebody wants me to ask you. Somebody asked me this on Twitter over the weekend. Who are the... Only three NFL rushers, only three running backs, top 20 all-time in rushing who are not in the Hall of Fame, who are eligible. So there's five who are not in, but two of them are not eligible. Oh, man. Wait, run, running backs, right? Or pass running rushing? backs, yeah. running backs, top 20 all-time in rushing yards. Top 20 all-time that aren't in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm bad with the Hall of Fame. All right, so nope. I'll give you I'll give you a hint. They're all former Patriots. <laughs> Dylan. Yep. Former Patriots. Are they newer or older guys? Um, all in the dynasty era. All in the dynasty. Dylan's the oldest, actually. Now that I think Dylan's the the oldest, like the furthest back. Steven Jackson. Yep. <laughs> That's two. And it's got to be another guy like that, right? Who's yeah, just... yeah. None of the they they all play the Patriots at the end. Like none of them have the majority of their rushing yards with the Patriots. Stephen Jackson, Dylan. Who was another veteran that was here? Come on, man. So I'm I gonna... he, this one, this guy didn't win a ring. Didn't... I'm gonna be mad when you say it. You are. He. Uh, uh... That's too easy. But ah, it's too easy to hint. But I can't think of anything else. He um just oh, no, no. he this... wore the same number as one of the guys you already said. Oh no, he, he wore the same number on his other team. He might not have no. Uh he was 21 here. Oh majority of his oh, yeah, oh, oh, um Taylor, Fred Taylor. Fred Taylor, Taylor. yep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then the other two are Adrian Peterson, who's not eligible, and Frank Gore who's not eligible yeah, in those guys because yeah. they're both top 10. So those, those three are 17, 19 and 20 that you just named. Frank Gore could play tomorrow and I wouldn't blink. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't end up playing with his dad. Here's, here's another interesting question. And this is something we've talked about a little bit on this show. And I've done this on catch 22 with Evan Lazar Thursdays at 2 PM on Patriots.com. 
Question is, if you're Mike Onwenu, wouldn't you rather be paid as a right tackle than as a right guard entering free agency? If he's not going to re-sign anyways, helps the Pats most this season. Okay, so this is really interesting. The Patriots last year were dead set on Mike Onwenu's a guard. They dinked around with his development the first two years. They moved him around a bunch. Last year, they said, we want him to be a right guard. That's where we want him long-term, so they refused to move him, which... To a certain extent, fine. They were moving him around too much. Now, I would have stuck him at right tackle and developed him there, not at right guard. They viewed it differently. He is a better guard than a tackle. He's still a pretty good tackle. So now you get into this year. They desperately need a right tackle. It looks like they might have something at guard in Antonio Maffi, right? Could they move him to tackle? Well, first off, is the belief from last year where they were like, nope, he's a guard, period, full stop. Was that a Bill Belichick thing or was that a Matt Patricia thing? Or, uh, yeah, well, Matt Patricia was also the offense line coach, right? Because if that was a Matt Patricia thing, maybe Belichick's more open to the move now. If not, then if they think he's a right guard, he's a right guard. The other element of this, which the question alludes to, is he's a pending free agent. You're going to have to pay him significantly more as a tackle than you are as a guard. If the Patriots plan on resigning him, they may keep him at guard so they can pay him guard money. Now, if they know they're not going to resign him, either way, I think you should explore playing him a tackle because his development, long-term development is no, and I know this sounds crass or cold or whatever, but it's a business. If you know you're going to let him walk at the end of the year, his long-term development isn't your issue. And who cares if he gets more money or not? You're not the one paying him. So I, I do think they should have the conversation about moving him to right tackle. I don't think they will, but I think they should. They definitely won't start with him at right tackle, but it's, it kind of feels like the break glass in case of emergency plan at this point. And just if you need your best five out there and everything else at that right tackle position fails, and it, it would help if they know we're done with him after this year, right? We don't have to worry about the contract, but right. I mean, right. I mean, guards are still getting paid a good amount. I think uh was, who was the fa- uh, Lindstrom, Chris Lindstrom. He got like $105 million or, or max 105 over five years. So. And Quentin Nelson's probably in the 20 range too. So Chris Lindstrom and Quentin Nelson are in the twenties. The let's, let's do this real quick. Let's do this. The top paid right guards will average out the top 10, 20.5 plus 20 plus 17 plus 16 and a half plus 16. And we are just going to do, so that's an average of 18 million. Um, and we're just going to do the top five because nobody wants to hear me type this in a calculator <laughs> on this whole show. All right, that's at guard. We're, we'll just do right tackle to keep it fair. So the average at uh, guard is 18. So this is 20.2 plus 20 plus 19.2 plus 18.5 plus, well, that really drops off there, plus 17.8 over five. So that's twenty. So you're looking at a two million dollar difference on average. The top guards are just as the top, just the top right tackles. So it's not even left tackle. So it's not a ton of money, but it's not insignificant either. Yep. So I, I, again, it's something to keep in mind. I, I I think they should. I don't think they will. And to the person who says Bill won't move on Wenu for that one reason, so he doesn't have to pay him. What if he already knows that they're letting Mike on Wenu walk at the end of the year? That that is kind of my pushback to this. Yeah. If they know they're going to keep him, that's a conversation to have, certainly. The way they drafted this year, I think they plan on letting him walk. And if you're going to let him walk, who cares what he's worth on the open market? You're not paying it. 
So what does it matter? Um, the, the franchise tag is just offensive line, right? Like that doesn't go by position. No, no, it's tackle guard center. Oh, it is? Okay. So maybe I believe so. Because uh, you can't be tagging guards with. Like it, yeah. Oh, it is just offensive line. I thought it definitely used to be guards. And it was. Yeah, because I looked up the over the cap projected for next year, and it just said yeah. offensive line. Well, shout out to the players' union. That's a rare win for them. Because when they tagged Tooney, it was just a guard, right? Yes, yes. So that must have changed relatively new in the new new CBA. So, but again, either way, if you're not resigning, it's not your problem. Yeah. Uh, If Devontae Parker gets released, that would save the Patriots six million dollars in cap space, which puts them around twenty million. Could you not afford DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook with that amount? Yes, but one, you can't release Devontae Parker until D Hop is signed. Can't do it because if for some reason you don't get him, you are in trouble. I think you could. It's just, you know, how much money the Patriots probably want to have about five or six million left when they're done because they you need about five million to get through the season. So if Hawkins is, let's do this the two contracts that have been thrown out there. If Hawkins gets the 15 million he wants and Cook gets the five million he wants, you can't. With 20 million, that's not enough. And people say, well, 15 plus five is 20, and they have 20 million in space. You need room during the season to operate. Now, maybe they could do some other things to open up cap space, but just releasing Parker doesn't get you enough. Now, if you can get Hopkins at closer to like eight or 10 and cook it two, two to three, now you're in business. But is that going to happen? That's the question. Yeah. So I, and, and yeah, they're not going to release. Parker be they even if they get Hopkins they shouldn't release Parker until the start of training camp or until the end of training camp they keep them all especially with the injuries they're already dealing with just yeah ride that out and then maybe even on the counter maybe another receiver on another team gets hurt and someone's more inclined to give up something a little more maybe maybe you get a draft pick instead of just outright releasing him I honestly think they'll be able to get back almost what they got for Parker Really? Anyway, I, I do. Yeah, maybe not a three, but like so they gave up it was a, a three, third for Parker and a fifth. Fifth, yeah. Could it be Parker and a fifth for a fourth? Like, yeah, I could see something like that. So yeah. I, I think they'll be able to get back close to what Swap. they gave up. Yeah. Could we see Keon White playing tight end on the goal <laughs> line? JJ Watt, kind of fun. He was a tight end in college. Was originally cr- recruited as a tight end. I've said that I kind of want to see it just because he's so big and strong. I'd like to see him block. If they are just going to stick with two tight ends on the final roster, it's a possibility. I would say it's a possibility. He's like a goal line is an extra blocker. Yeah. And, you know, he's going to need to do some other things too to adjust. And he's not going to get cut, but they're going to want him to do some more things to justify his roster spot. I actually don't think this is that insane. I think there's a real chance we see this. Yeah. I got a, <laughs> I got a DM a while back. This made me think of it. And they said, why don't the Patriots sign Taco Fall to be a cheat code for two-point conversions and change the game and just lob him goal line fades every time? Because he's going to take one hit, and that's going to be him. That's why. I get asked that all the time, too. It's not (laughs) as simple as being tall. It's really not. It was that simple. It would look like the NBA. Everybody would sign tall players. Your knees go faster when you're that height. It doesn't work. If Taco Fall took one fall, he'd probably be out for the year like that. Yeah. Um, 
what else do we got here? Who leads the offense in receiving mm-hmm. yards and TDs? I think yards is going to be Juju just on volume. Touchdowns, I think it's going to be Mike Kosicki. I was going to say the same thing. So I'll go Henry for touchdowns just to be different, but I'm sticking with Juju. All right. I said Henry last year, and I, I wasn't right. So going away from that. Uh, what is this? If Taekwon doesn't have at least 500 or more yards this year, is he starting to look like bus territory? What do you think? I'll, I'll let you go first on this one. Doesn't have 500. Well, he's got, if he's healthy, then it'll be disappointing, but he's also like bus not living up to his second round status. Yes. He could still impact the offense, like with his speed, if he's not even getting receptions and yards, but yeah, you'd like to probably see him eclipse that point from a 50th overall pick in year two. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, what else we got here? The Patriots still haven't signed two of their draft players. Need cap for them. That's going to be minimal. I, I, that doesn't really impact Hopkins. I assume that common came in. We were talking about that. Looking forward to Bailey Zappi leading us to chip number seven. Y- you can look forward to that all you want. It's going to be a long-ass wait. Yeah. And once Mac Jones or if it's uh, Michael Penix or Shadur Sanders leads them to seven, that's no longer going to be relevant. So how big of a season is this for Christian Barmore? It's a very good question. You know, we've talked a lot about Mac Jones as being the crucial year for him. How about the second guy from that 2021 class? I think it's pretty big. He had the really good rookie year. And then, you know, he had the injuries last year and he had some impressive moments when he was healthy, but he's got to stay healthy and they need him inside to be a pocket pushing presence and, I mean, we don't know Lawrence Guy's status right now, so there are, might be down a body there. So they're going to need him to be healthy, and they're going to need him to, you know, get after the quarterback from in there. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that one. I, I think this is a big year for him, and I thought he was ready to make the jump last year, and then he got hurt, and I think he, when he came back, he was playing hurt. I've said this before. I think he's healthy now. I think he's fully healthy now, and we're going to see what he really can do. And that he's a guy – We'll talk a lot next offseason about an extension for him. If, yeah. you know, one way or the other, but if he plays up to it, it becomes a very interesting conversation. I think he started to get back to himself the last, like the first two games he got back. I think he just had like one pressure. And then he had that monster game versus Miami where he had like seven yeah. pressures and then the, another four the next game. So I think, yeah, if he's healthy and he's ready to go, I think he's going to have a good year. I'd agree with you on that one. Uh, is this the guy that DMD? Why don't they use Taco Fall to block field goals? Because somebody's going <laughs> to low man wins. Low man wins. That's why he is going to get tipped over so fast. I'd love to see how fast he could get out of the stands, too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ball would be in the air way. by the time he's standing up. Who is it? There was some tight end from Baylor. Ah, how long ago was I? I think I might have been in college. Just a huge guy. He was like 6'11. Everybody's like, oh, he's going to revolutionize the game. And then he was just never healthy. I don't remember. His I'm name. trying to find it. Not why did Sean Oakman come up? It's not Sean Oakman. That guy would have been a beast. He would have. Um, oh, Laquan McGowan. Oh, yeah. So the whole, do you remember who Laquan McGowan is? So he was, he was 6'10, <laughs> but he was also 405 pounds, but he played tight end. He wasn't a lineman. And everybody was like, here we go. 
here we go. You know, unicorn player, new kind of player. And he was just always hurt. I, I don't know if he ever played in the NFL. I'm looking it up now. Now I'm he ran a five three six at four hundred pounds. That's <laughs> right. So he was on a practice. He went undrafted. Uh, was signed to a Canadian League football team, but never uh, played. Then he played for something called the Triangle Torch, which was a minor league indoor uh, football league team in North Carolina. And then the next year, he played for the Carolina Cobras, which is another minor league football team. He's been out of football since 2018. Okay. So there's uh, there's that. Yeah, Maybe six... he, he and Taco Fall can team up in one of these XFLs or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What else we got? Does Stevenson have a Pro Bowl type season? I he should. He should. I mean, he like we talked about off the top. I think he's certainly gonna have the opportunities to. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. Yeah. He'll have the stats. It's only like three running backs, so he might not make the Pro Bowl, but he should have a case and his stats should be good enough to qualify. Well, it's three running backs and then you know a couple guys aren't want going to want to go and then maybe it's a guy on the Super Bowl team and you know you get all the way all the way down there. Uh you guys we'll, we'll do questions for a little bit more and then I do want to get a Boston sportsman and I want to talk about the the Celtic, the Bruins. I also want to talk about the Red Sox. You can believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> here we go. If they could get him, what about Hunter Renfro as a slot receiver? So this one's interesting. Because his skill set would be great. But if you trade for Hunter Renfro, you figure it's Renfro in the slot. You're moving Juju to the Z and it's Parker. Or if, you, if you sign Hopkins, Hopkins at the X. That's a really slow offense. There's a lot of talent on the field, but there's very little speed. And I just, I, you know, I, I think you got to figure out how to get Bourne or Thornton out there. It's not going to happen. This is one of those old... Belichickisms. It's not about collecting talent. It's about building a team. This is a collecting talent move. I don't know that it's a building a team move. Yeah. That's where your depth is at the receiver spot with Juju, with Bourne. That's, I think, why we're talking about Hopkins too a lot because you need, you could upgrade that spot, but I don't know if Renfro. Renfro's not an upgrade. He's an addition. It's kind of like Dalvin Cook, right? Like, Where's the snaps coming? Where's the big addition? I don't know. It's just, I wouldn't, I like him. I like him as a player, but he just doesn't fit right now what they really need. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm with you. I don't think it works the same way. Yeah. Uh, there was one other interesting question in here. Um, oh, maybe not. Maybe I got to everything. All right. Last call for questions. You want to get any more, any more questions in here? We can get to them. But if not, we'll, we'll hit the boss sports minute because it is a late June show. <laughs> so I'm just I, actually I don't you know. Hang on. We're going to do a couple things here. First yeah. off, camp starts a month from today. OK, oh, yeah. which is insane <laughs> if you think about it. I, I don't know how long you've been on the beat, Brian. That is wild to me because I know what's going to happen in my life in a month. I'm like, <laughs> I got so much I got to do. So little time to do it. Not that I don't love covering the Patriots. I do. So that starts a month from today. Um, let me just uh, let me just clear all this. Uh, yeah, yeah, is Jokic happy in in Denver? Does he want to come block field goals for the Patriots? <laughs> He'd probably be as close as anybody because he does have the mass on him at least. We should draft non football players. I think team. we did that a couple years ago. <laughs> um, all right. Here's season. the real thing. 
<laughs> one month from 2.30 p.m. today, Brian, Notre Dame football, not that I like Notre Dame, but Notre Dame football will be kicking off against somebody. And I can't remember who, uh, it's Navy. In Dublin, mm-hmm. Ireland, college football, two months from today. I am super hyped for that, obviously. I think this is going to be a great college football season. I kind of started doing a deep dive today. I ended up on like a recruiting tangent. Georgia has a running back recruit whose name is escaping me. It's double R's. 5'11", 240. And he levels people in pass bro. So that's going to be fun. But give me a college football take. Future Patriot. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Two months out. Give me a college football take. College football take. Can it be – does it have to be for this season? Uh, Yeah. No, no, it can be it can be whatever. I don't know. I want to do something. I like Wisconsin, and I think Luke Fickle's building something there. But that's also you we like just Wisconsin. got like Wisconsin. Wow, one quarterback and one four-star wide receiver, and like it's like new era for us. But um, this year, um, ooh. So, but wait, so you think Wisconsin's going to have like an actual offense? I think Braylon Allen's going to run for like 1,600 yards. Well, he's beast too, but yes. I think they will. I don't know about this year more, but maybe like next year. Okay. But they got the uh, quarterback from SMU who runs too, and they got Phil Longo. Tanner from, Mordecai, who yeah, once threw for, what did he do? He had, oh no, that was it Tanner Mordecai or Shane Bouchelle who had that insane stat line in that game um, last year? I think, I think it was, it was Tanner Mordecai. Mordecai. Yeah, I think it was Mordecai. Hang on, I'm going to pull it, it up. They got Phil Longo from UNC, who has an actual offense. So, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. It's something new. Yeah, so so Tanner Mordecai against the Houston Cougars last year threw for, I'm trying to find the full block score, but he threw for nine touchdowns in that game. Yeah. <laughs> I think he threw for like 500 yards, nine touchdowns, ran That's for insane. one. Who was that against? Against Houston, who's like not terrible. Yeah. So Clayton Toon, uh, uh, Clayton Toon was 36 of 53 for 527 yards with seven touchdowns and three picks. Mordecai threw for, why would it not? Hang on. Give me the box score. It's a great radio right now. <laughs> oh, it was a 77-63 final. It did almost go to overtime, which would have been sick. Clayton Toon threw for 527 yards, seven touchdowns, three picks. Tanner Mordecai, Brian, 28 of 37, 379 yards, nine touchdowns, no picks. And then he ran for another 54 yards and a touchdown. And he's now, that's the most un-Wisconsin stat line ever. And he's now at Wisconsin. It's a new era. Yeah. Gone right, so are the days your... of Alex Hornybrook. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's your college football take. Uh, my, my college football take is the week 10 schedule this year is so good. I was going through all like the like week by week because <laughs> me and my friends are trying to figure out like when we're going to get together. And uh, week 10 schedule is elite. So keep an eye on that. All right. So that's college football minute. Let's get to a Boston sports minute here real quick because, all right, you want to start with the Bruins? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What are your thoughts? They made a big move today. What are your thoughts? So they traded Taylor Hall for anyone who didn't see it. I I love Taylor Hall. So is Taylor was, Hall and Nick Felino for two RFA prospects. Yes. Basically, they opened up six million dollars yes. in salary cap. So I love Taylor Hall. He was always the guy who like you thought should be a Bruin, and then he got here. 
and he loved it here. I loved how much he loved it here, but it was a move they they kind of had to do. They needed the cap space. Hopefully, this means Tyler Batuzzi is going to be re-signed, which I think is the right move. He's younger. He has that chemistry with Pasternak. So I'm for it, but it, it, I am sad Taylor Hall had to leave, but it's a move they, they really needed to make, I think. I'm with you. I, I think Tyler Bertuzzi and Ty Anderson from 985 has reported that Tyler Bertuzzi, this is like their their main objective this offseason is to bring back Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. He gives them something they haven't had. The net front, front presence, the passing, he works well with Pasternak. I'm really glad that they're being aggressive about keeping him. The only way to do that was to trade Taylor Hall. My question is, are they done? They need to open up a little bit more money uh, to, to have the offseason they want to have. I kind of look at the defensemen, Carlo, Grizzlick, right, that group. Um, I don't think they're moving McAvoy. I don't think they're moving Lindholm. After those two, I think it's possible. I, I think it's possible they move somebody. So, But it's it's good to see them getting aggressive. Yep. Any, I, any other thoughts on the Bruins? I think the buyout window is Friday. I, I guess Mike Riley gets bought out. That should create a good amount of change. Okay. I still think Grizzlick's gonna go, and I I'm a pro Mac Grizzlick guy, but I mean they just don't trust him in the playoffs. And if you're not gonna play him in the playoffs, and this is a cast, it was a Cassidy thing, it was a Montgomery thing this year. Like if you're not gonna play him, just trade him. And he's a good player, so he could probably get some, you know, a good draft pick back and free up like three point six on the on the cap too. So I think I think he's gonna be gone too. What do you think they should do with Allmark? I'm so back and forth on that because his value is never going to be higher, but I, I think they want to keep them together. I think that's going to be the best way they're competitive this year, especially if, if Bergeron and Krejci aren't back. So I think they're going to keep them. Keep I think that. the the only way you can justify keeping him is if you get Swayman to take a discount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if Swayman doesn't, like you said, value is high now. They've got Brandon uh, Zabusi. Yep. In the AHL, who's just an AHL all-star, I think he can be capable backup. What's the point of having two great goaltenders if there's nobody in front of them? You got to mm-hmm. make sure you have a team in front of the goalie. So that's where that's where I'm yeah, at. With that. You can't tie up like eight and a half, nine million to the pair. If you get Swayman to say like, "Hey, I'll take like two and a half, two this right. year if you keep us together," which you might maybe. be able to do because he's yeah. an RFA. Yeah, something like they did with Zaka, like take a little less, and then when the cap jumps, we'll give you a nice extension mid-year or something. I think that would be a good route to go. But if Swayman comes in looking three and a half, four, I think you're going to have to move Allmark and and go from there. Yeah, with you on that. All right, Red Sox. We are at the point now. So first of all, do you know the Red Sox? They were two games over 500 in April. They played 500 May, and they're 500 to this point in June. Definition of mid. <laughs> we are starting to kind of talk about the trade deadline. What are they going to do? This team cannot. High and Bloom is in such a bad spot because they can't. They can't buy. They're not good enough. They're not good enough, and they don't have the farm system. They can't do that. They can't dump assets into this team that is going nowhere. That has no pitching, and they're not going to add enough pitching. They're not going to add enough uh, offensively. They're not going to add a real shortstop. What it would cost them to turn this team into a contender is simply not worth it. At the same time, it's hard not to buy because players are pissed off the last couple of years that they haven't gotten any reinforcements at the deadline. And if Bloom doesn't buy, he might lose the locker room. You definitely can't do the half-ass thing they did last year where they traded Tristan Vasquez, a major sell move, and then bought on top of that. That made no sense. And yeah, it pissed the players off, and rightfully so. 
And by the way, whatever happens, High and Bloom should be with the team this year on the trade deadline, not do a Zoom with reporters in the middle of the game, which is just as impersonal as insulting as all hell. That was wrong that he did that. I don't know what High and Bloom's going to do, but he has backed himself into a corner where he has no right answer for how to approach this trade deadline unless this team gets scorching hot in the next month and a half. It is going to be very interesting to see what happens there, but whatever happens, I, I don't want him to buy. I don't want him to buy. And if Bloom gives the indication that he's going to buy to try to save his job, they need to pull the plug on him. You cannot, if they know that he's, if, if they're all ready to fire him, if they are, if they feel like he's not the long-term answer, but they don't, they want to wait until the end of the season because optics. No, you can't let this guy do another deadline, especially if you're about to kick him out the door. Because last year's deadline, and this has been written about, this is not me being a hater. If you go and look at what was written after last deadline, the moves Bloom made, which he didn't need to make and made no difference, did not allow the Red Sox to reset their luxury tax penalty. And that actually hurts them long term. So I am not exaggerating when I say last year's deadline set the Red Sox back over the course of multiple seasons because it did. You cannot allow Bloom to run another deadline and set your organization back again, especially if you know you're going to be getting rid of him at the end of the year anyway. Yeah. I don't mind if they go out and add, like, I'm not talking any trade that you're going to lose, like, a top prospect, but if you want to go at, go out and add maybe a reliable, like, veteran so you give the optic to your clubhouse that you're buying in and do it sooner rather than later so you're not stuck in, like, a bidding war at the deadline. Like, they lost, who was it, to the Mariners last year? The um, I don't uh, – Santana, Carlos Santana. Yeah. Like, yeah. the Mariners went out and got him, like, weeks before the deadline – and then they went on like a run. They and like that's I think if you're going to add veteran pieces, do it like now. Don't wait till you get into a bidding war so you don't have to lose more than you need to give up. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do add a pitcher somehow here. But hopefully it's you're not giving like a top five or ten prospect in, in the in the process. No, look, Brian, that that's a great point. And the thing about the deadline is it's up until that point. The, the deadline doesn't start when you wanted to start. It starts when teams start making moves. Yep. And it felt very much last year like High and Bloom wanted to do things on his schedule. And too bad. You can't. Once teams start making moves, you got to get aggressive because they waited. Uh, they waited too long and, and none of the moves were there. The other thing is if you're really serious about contending, you need to catch ground. You need to gain ground. So if you're going to wait until July 31st to make the moves instead of making them on maybe July 15th, that's two weeks that the player that you think is going to help you isn't going to help you. And generally the prices don't go down when you get close to deadline, they go up. So Bloom certainly needs to be more proactive among many other things at this year's deadline. Yep. Definitely agree. That's a quick Red Sox minute. All right. I think we got to everything there. Yep. All right. So we'll be back sometime this week. We'll see what's in store, but uh, until then, Follow Alex on Twitter at RealAlexBarth. Go read all his work over at 985thesportshub.com. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Brian Hines and go read all my work over on PatsPulpit.com. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you guys sometime this week. 